0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Malou, welcome to the Black Diamond Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. As I was telling you before this recording, I'm just super, super interested in asking you a bunch of questions. I'm currently reading a book called The Sacred Cow. I feel like we're getting to a strong inflection point where we need to figure something out that is sustainable and you are in the thick of things welcome to the show and maybe you could give us a little bit of, of your background first and then we'll get into teal tags and the tom miner association and all of the values and ethics around sustainable ranching and, and any other topic that we dive into Cool.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my name's Malou, and I'm from a ranching family right outside of Yellowstone Park. So we neighbor Yellowstone to the north. And so we're, we've are we historically ranched up here. My grandfather bought the place in the late 50s. And so yeah, we're, we're ranching and living in a wild place and, and really enjoying doing so. That's my background. And there's a lot more there. I have a background in psychology, which adds a whole other element to the story for me because of my sort of natural way to psychoanalyze everyone and why all the questions and answers but I'm really happy to be here I'm really grateful for the life that I live here with my little family my husband and my two little girls on our family ranch
0: Yeah awesome so you I, I'm curious how many times you've heard people be like oh yeah I watched the show Yellowstone has that come up recently <laughs> oh, oh yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I know. And I keep just thinking, everyone keeps just saying it's like a mob movie. And so I now I'm really interested to watch it to see how uh, sensationalized the whole thing is.
0: It, it is a bit. I watched uh, seven episodes and we moved to Montana about four or five years ago now, or left California and settled elsewhere. But everyone who's like, oh yeah, you live in Montana. That's right. You so do you watch Yellowstone. I'm like, totally. <laughs> That's actually what my life is like now. Yeah. Everybody here. Uh, It is a little, yeah, it's a bit dramatic. I thought I watched about six episodes of it and it was really good, but then I I don't know. Like many things, I lost interest. Anywho, tell me about A Rancher's Life. What is it? That being said, the dramatic TV version, but what is a rancher's life really?
1: Oh man, there's a lot of different kinds of ranchers. And that's, I guess, that the word rancher for me as a, a young, I, guess, I suppose, a middle aged woman at this point and in a ranching family that has been mostly men is a whole nother question. What is a rancher? And I think basically a rancher's life is very connected to the land, whether he or she likes it or not. Um, literally out there working in the dirt, working in the soil, working tending animals and livestock. and caring for hope, hopefully caring for the greater, larger system at work. But I would say that a lot of ranchers don't have that mentality. So that's what I mean. There's a, there's definitely a spectrum of ranching, but yeah, I think logistically it's out there and working your land and caring for your animals and hoping to make a profit doing it and and loving, hopefully loving the life you don't, you know, you're working at.
0: Yeah. Awesome. There's I guess a really strong focal point now on, okay, we got almost 8 billion people on this planet. We're not really sure how we're going to feed people and that our systems that we currently have for feeding people are not sustainable. So we got to come up with some solutions and we got to do it faster than most people think I would imagine. And there's so much, it's such a difficult conversation because there's so many, as you said, values and ethics around raising, livestock, processing animals, everything that takes to get to our plate, plus the agricultural side of, okay, are are these sustainable farming techniques or are we just laying waste to our land? And there's, it's a really complex thing going on. Let's start there. Like when you try to take such a complex issue, that's so important, right? How do you start to distill the values and ethics around this particular topic to the common people?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question, and and you're right. I'm I'm right in the thick of that right now. And there's so many layers. I guess that's the piece of it too is that you need a multi, a number of days to get through it all. I think there's a lot of change and changes happening right now, and we have to look at the history of ranching. We have to look at colonialization and the pioneer days, and really what that meant. And I think historically, it was written that, pine, the pioneer days and colonialization was quote unquote progress and manifest destiny and coming to the West and all those things. And people looked at that as a really positive thing. And it's easy for me in the work I do to lose patience in that mindset because it quickly goes to this this aspect of values and ethics. It quickly goes to the old way of human dominating land and human dominating animals for their own survival and, and needs and whatever doesn't work for that operation or whatever hinders it, get rid of, just just get rid of. And, and so for me personally, and I always have to start my talks by saying, I'm not speaking for all ranchers when I tell my story. And when I speak in the words that I use, this is my story and these are my beliefs. And so I can't put them all under the same category. I wish I could, but I, I can't. And there's still a lot of people out there doing things that are based solely on that same thing that... That sort of egocentric, I coined I it, the, the ego in agriculture has destroyed and degraded the globe on a, on a huge level. And in my opinion, we are the villi- villains. We were the villains. And the really incredible thing about the new world of agriculture or the sort of the new global West, is the fact that we can be a cornerstone and change that story now. And and we can actually be a fundamental piece of how we can change everything and heal things and start to make amends from all the mistakes from the past. Certainly, there are some great traditions, but there's also a lot of traditions that we need to let go of. Like what? Like that ego piece, the dominating piece. Think of the word livestock, for instance, and livestock, as opposed to dead stock. (laughs) <laughs> and everything you start looking at language, and I'm sure just with what you do, linguistics is fascinating, and how we can pull people along with linguistics and, and manipulate our again our values and ethics. And when you start to think about the language and the terms that we've used in so many things in, in the old world, but but if we're just talking about agriculture, it's so much based around human. It's all based around human needs, humans human conception, human wants and human desires. And that's where we, I believe as a community in agriculture, and I know so many others believe this, it's time to step back and take our steps out ourselves out of the center and realize our important piece in the whole entire system as not just the center piece.
0: Great points. And that ego in agriculture or just ego and overall man. I mean, how many like shows or books are about man versus nature, man conquers nature, all of these great Shackleton, like all of these great tales are of man facing the elements and when nature is bears in front of them and stands triumphant eventually. Yes, And it's, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. It's just in our nature. I don't know if it's, we can stop it, but it's definitely there.
1: Yeah. 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 The wild, the language around that, the wild versus Humans or the even the word wild, that was a it's a word that's that makes it so that humans are not that. That's a word that shows that we are not that. Thank goodness. And here we are. The irony that we're all desperate to be in the wild again, and to and we lack that connection to the wild things. Or, or I like to say, or I've heard more than human things. And it's really fun to start to explore new language around around all these things to to, to start taking down that ego a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Now, I I think after this conversation, I'm going to be much more aware of the words I use. (laughs) I have (laughs) a feeling my poor wife, uh, she's (laughs) going to pay the brunt of that.
1: We're (laughs) all in it together. It's so hard. It's so hard and it can go on forever. So I understand.
0: Yeah. I'm real fun at dinner parties. That's for (laughs) sure. So explain to me the problems. And this is, feel free to express your opinion because I don't, like you say, you don't express the opinions of all ranchers, but what do you think are the problems with agriculture right now and in, in ranching and how we get food on the table?
1: Okay. There's many pieces to a broken system, or maybe it's not a broken system at all. Maybe it's a system that works really well for big agriculture and is broken for small producers and the way it used to be before. Like you said, the, you know, the term was coined at the turn of the century, that the farmers and ranchers have to feed the world. And when that happened, that, it, that messed a lot of things up because we went from quality to quantity. And then we started seriously degre- degradating landscape and soil. and we were t- we're, we've always taken too much. the indigenous people always say that the, the First Nations folks always say things like, take what you need, or we belong to each other. We care. And I think those three terms right there, It's those you don't hear in agriculture. You don't hear we belong to each other. You don't hear just take what you need. People take far more than what they need, and in the process destroy land and destroy habitat and all the things that really keep us connected because we all are the same. in, In my opinion, so I think that's another piece of it. When humans believe that they are apart and different from what is going on out in the natural world, that's a problem because that's what that's you know wonderful Paul Hawken who is amazing in the climate world, he always talks about othering and how dysfunctional and toxic othering is when when we start to make ourselves into different groups that makes us not together anymore. And so then we can't think together and work towards issues and challenges together. And, and we're divisive and all the things that this whole entire world is dealing with at this point, not just in agriculture. So I would say that's a huge part of the the problem right there, just the disconnect from the soil, from understanding that healthy soils mean healthy animals, which mean healthy planet, which means healthy humans. And you can't address climate without addressing grizzly bear habitat or healthy waters. They're not different things. They're all the same thing. And so I'd I'd say that's a big disconnect and a big problem. I'd, I'd say with the food systems, again, going back to that centralized big agriculture, it was when the urban sprawl needed those processing plants closer. And, and I understand it needed to happen. We're not going to get away from big ag. We, we need it in order to feed the world. But I think that we can definitely, these are gifts that COVID has given us that we can start to repair some of these broken foundations and pillars in our system and understand that the farmer and rancher is responsible and, and wants to feed the world by feeding its communities one by one. And then those communities trickle into the urban and, and trickle into the larger packing plants. But there's so much to be done in the processing and marketing world and beef. And I'm really excited that this, again, this is a, ki- a gift that COVID has given us. We These are now exposed. And once they're exposed, we can really start to repair and fix them.
0: Unpack that a little bit. You said that COVID provided a gift. Like In what way did it do that? for us.
1: Like for instance, the when the processing when the meat started going off the shelves and it was empty and and the processing plants were all backed up and producers couldn't get their animals processed on time and then processing plants were shutting down because half their some of their some of the processing plants, these huge plants, half their staff would have covid and everything just started to break apart and people started realizing like, wow, what happened to all of our micro local processing plants? Why and For instance, for me here, I'm surrounded by, I live in Tom Miner Basin that overlooks Paradise Valley. There are far more, far more cattle in this valley than people. And there's been a huge amount of people moving to the valley. There's still more cattle, I would say. But point being, I'm surrounded by cattle that I can't eat because they go and they are shipped off into a conventional system. And they go off to these processing plants that are way too far away. Even if they're in the state of Montana, they're still far away. When I was a kid, and even before, these processing plants, that they didn't exist. And there were small mom and pop processing marketing places in our little counties that took care of our beef and our wild game. And we were able to get that beef a lot easier. And, th- and thus the processing fee, the, the amount for that beef was lower because the the prices weren't jacked up because of having to bring cattle, take cattle a long ways away. Imagine the carbon footprint of just having to transport the cattle to processing and not alone, just processing. And then the processing in itself, We again, it goes back to quantity over quality. Quality meat means having an animal that has been raised humanely, respected deeply, cared for deeply, and in that caring, that means the way it's been killed and and the respect that goes into that meat. We are all now in a conventional system for the most part eating meat that those cattle go into processing plants where they know they're going to die. They smell that death before they're even inside and imagine how many the cortisol levels that go up in that beef, the fear in those animals before they die, and then we consume that beef. And that is a broken system. And I don't care who you are. That is absolutely a lot of people think a lot of people say no, this isn't a broken system. This is working perfectly for everyone in, in big ag. That's a broken system. And I choose to be more connected to the meat I eat, to the food I eat, to the plants I eat, and I'm not okay with caring for animals like that. And no one should be. So we're really looking into more how to bolster up local mom and pop places, how to get them funding to get back going again, to open up their doors again after 40 plus years of being closed. And then also look at things like mobile processing units where you can literally go and process beef out in the field or bison. And people are doing that. And it's really fantastic and, and changing the way that we, it's changing the narrative of the stories. Around our, our food systems.
0: Yeah, it's a complicated issue. It really is. I it's, and I think a lot of people see maybe a, a documentary or they see something, or they read an article, they're influenced by someone, and they say, "Let's just well, the answer is easy. You just don't eat meat." And yes. that's not the answer either. No, we need animals. We, <laughs> do. Know, what do, you, we, we what, do. What do you say to that?
1: Absolutely, we need. Do not go vegan. Certainly, there are people who are vegan, but if you start to look at the research on what it takes to farm vegan foods, it is just as destructive, if not more. It's almost, it's often very um, a monogamous situation or a, a monoga. It's not, that's not the word, but it's a one crop or a two crop Monocrop. system. Monocrop. Thank you. Monogamous. <laughs> monogamous, <laughs> monocrop, same thing. Who
0: needs words? Yeah.
1: <laughs> words, they're totally overrated. But yeah, it's and it's really destructive, the amount of water that it takes. And, and so is a lot of conventional agriculture, so much of it. And so when you're looking at a regenerative model, we're looking at the fact that we do need grazing ungulates on the land. We That was another thing we absolutely destroyed in Manifest Destiny and all across the globe when we started putting up fences across the globe and changing migratory patterns and herd behavior in these massive herds that for eons and eons grazed this globe and moved in ways that everything made sense and there was this sort of incredibly balanced thing that that the natural world was doing and when it went out of balance it would rebalance itself out and and then fences came and and destruction came and the loss of the bison came and when we, all those ungulates left to the land, that was a big issue. So absolutely for people wanting to go vegan, I really highly encourage to do research at the, how important it is to support ranchers and farmers doing the right thing, because we need those grazing animals on the land. We need their hooves impacting the land in positive ways. Absolutely. It's a necessity in the natural world.
0: So what do we do? Someone who wants to do the right thing. Right, wants to be part of the the solution. And a lot of these people who move plant based or vegan or are just they're just trying to be part yes. of the solution. But they're just maybe misinformed or they haven't taken a deep enough dive or they're getting you know, someone else's opinion who's could very well be off. So what what do we do as a consumer? What's the best way to to start moving this thing in the right direction from an everyday life perspective?
1: Absolutely. I that's a great question. And I'm no expert, but I personally I am a ranching kid grown up who believes that we don't need as many cattle. We need better cattle. We need better meat and not as much. I, I go by that same thing where a lot of people say, instead of eating beef five or six or seven days a week, why don't you just do beef like or meat three days a week or two days a week or whatever, and really have a variety on your plate. And I am that same way. I ver- I only eat meat probably once or twice a week. And so I would say that support better beef and less of it. And certainly support, that's the same thing with the farmers growing crops. There's regenerative farmers, regenerative crops, biodiversity in crops. Look at, start doing research more on the way people used to eat. Like we would eat certain vegetables in the winter and we would eat certain vegetables in the summer. Just looking at the way ancient humans and, and, and older generations used to do things when the supply chain was much shorter.
0: So Malou, you eat uh, meat a couple of times a week, you said. And wh- so yeah. what do you eat otherwise? Just curiosity. What else do you pack your plate with?
1: <laughs> I definitely love a good salad. I love salad and thankfully okay. my kids do too. So we always have lots of greens on our plate. I do the same thing. Like I know root vegetables make more sense in the winter because in the old way, the old days, you would harvest those and keep them for the winter and put them in your little, one of those cool little places that people would dig out of hills and so forth, but they Put their root vegetables, and and they keep for so much longer. We eat potatoes, we eat a lot of broccoli, we eat uh, carrots, and uh, a lot of onions. And love, I love a good Thai takeout. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> or sushi. I love sushi. Here I am, like in the mountains, oh, yeah. and one of my favorite things is sushi.
0: Yeah, that's well. funny. We we haven't done sushi, and we had it it'd been a while, and we finally. I'm like, I just told my wife, and I'm, we're going out for sushi. And we're doing it tonight because I'm I want it now, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was an expensive endeavor. We sat down we really crushed it. was really proud of us. <laughs> awesome. But anyway, here's the thing, because I want to lean into some of the tech too, but I, I think a lot of people, I, maybe I'm just speaking on myself, but I always think, okay, we got all these problems. We got climate change. We got the food supply. We've got monocrops and all these agricultural issues. I'm like, well, someone will innovate their way out of it. That's just what we do as humans. Now we've proven over time that maybe we can't innovate our way out of it completely But technology definitely can be part of the solution. Yes. So tell us what you're doing with teal. What is that?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think we have to be careful with innovation and tech and not get ahead of ourselves. Teal is really based in the idea of conservation. And it's a very similar product that you see a lot in dairy farms and so forth, where they're using a real-time tag in an, an ear tag or a collar on a cow to to collect data in real time on wellness and GPS location. And so in dairy, they use that a lot to make sure a dairy cow is going into estrus and that's when she should get bred, and et cetera, et cetera. In my landscape, it's more around the uh, predator-wildlife-livestock conflict, which is a very big deal here, and wellness in cattle because we also live in a section of the world where we have brucellosis coming from elk and some bison, and we're sharing these places with this wildlife. But really, again, this goes down to values and ethics. In Teal Tag, I don't want to get caught up in making a product that's going to make a bunch of money that will help the agricultural industry. What I want is a product that can help us conserve wildlife, conserve predators, and then thus conserve the rancher and livestock in these wild places. Because we all know that if the rancher wasn't here in these wild places and keeping private land intact, then this could be really detrimental because data states that all wildlife really depend on private land to migrate through, especially the GYE, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So yeah, basically the idea is anchored in a real-time tag measuring fight or flight response and A GPS. And so basically the idea is is that if two thirty two the cow number two thirty two tag is being attacked in the permit, which is often all these cattle in these places in the summer go to public grazing allotments. And so they're much further away from ranch headquarters, and often ranchers don't look after them, they just bring them back in the fall after grazing season. And that's where a lot of the predator losses happen. And so this idea would be instead of having to ride five hours out to the cattle, check cattle, make sure no one's dead and ride back, which is a much bigger deal than what I just said. It would be that 232 is getting attacked and we would get an alert on our producer phone immediately or almost immediately. And then it shows our G- the GPS location so that then we can use these tools, this new innovation to be more efficient and profitable on our ranches and really take care of issues as they occur instead of being reactive when they've already occurred. And then we get angry and frustrated that no one's helping us, that we're surrounded by predators and all these things. And I have my own opinions about that, which is maybe for another time, but it's a tool that's again, anchored in the idea that it's once we know better, we should do better. And if we have ways that we can manage our domestic animals in a better way, in order to conserve the wildlife that we share this place with, then I'm all for experimenting and exploring new tech to do that. But I also am deeply, again, anchored in the idea that we must have respectful tech around wildlife. There has to be guidelines and regulations around the tech and innovation that we use in wild places. There has to be, because it's it can absolutely go into a much darker place quickly without us even knowing
0: it. Yeah. So a couple questions on that. So when you mentioned it, it measures the fight or flight, is it measuring cortisol levels or what is it doing?
1: We're testing different prototypes and we're deciding because the, the biggest factor for me is to drive down and drive out the costs for ranchers so that this is affordable. And so it looks to me, it looks to us at this point that the most affordable way to measure fight or flight response is accelerometer or movement. But it may also be that a body temperature or a heart rate can do the same. So this tag is not something you can purchase yet. We're still in beta testing and prototype testing and just trying different tags that are on the market and creating our own out of that. Yeah, we're still a baby and still a startup, but it's looking really promising and we're really exciting about, excited about some of the things we're learning.
0: Yeah it is it's really interesting. I'm I come from the fitness industry. I've been in in the fitness industry for wow. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting <laughs> tech I and mean, all this stuff yeah. I'm very familiar with, accelerometers and HRV and cortisol tests and all this stuff. It's stuff that's being applied to you know, the fitness and health profession a lot. And that technology got, I think, $2.4 billion of investment money went into fitness technology in 2020. So that's booming. Um, wow. It's, and it's not that different, you know, what you're doing here. And I also want to touch on something else that you said, because you kind of mentioned like how easily tech and ranching can go the wrong way. What's your vision on what the Uh, wrong way could look like?
1: There's two things here. One is my one of my devil's advocate for teal tags was my own brother who runs a big grass-fed business in the state of Montana. He's one of my favorite people in the world and I adore him and I greatly admire his opinions. He said, hey, Melania, is something like this going to take away the reason why I want to be a cowboy? The reason why I choose to be connected to the land? And I think that's a really fair question because we don't come from a family that wants to be couch cowboys and sitting on a computer checking things out. However, I also think it's really important that we address, for one, what are we trying to preserve in the cowboy culture? Because there are certainly things we should be preserving, but there's also things that don't need to be preserved anymore and we can let go of. And we grew up with watching... Cowboy, old cowboys, old, frustrated, crippled cowboys because of a lifetime of having to work in the most dire conditions or the hardest conditions. So if we can find tech that helps those ranches become more profitable, become more resilient, I'm all about that. But I also don't want tech taking over our old, our rural way of life, and the why and why we are connected. I don't think it will. I always tell you know. I always say that's not going to happen because people can choose uh, back to values and ethics. We either choose and we or we don't choose to be deeply connected to the places that we are, and. That's a whole nother psychological story, emotional situation there. The other piece is that – I don't know if you saw that famous footage of the polar bear on the the glacier with her baby and the drone getting way too close and the baby almost falling and she was like swiping at the drone. That is – if that's not a perfect example of – a heavy handed use of technology in a place where it does not belong. I don't know if there's a better example. And so that's the other piece is how are we using this tech? How respectful are we being and and how, what data is being collected? Is it essential data or is it not
0: essential data? Great answer. And so I guess my curiosity wants to know, is, a, is branching as a, an occupation, as a pursuit, and there's a barrier to entry, right? Like I can't just pick up and move and become, I mean, guess I could, um, I'd probably be an idiot for doing it. I want to just, I'll just, Oh, I'm just going to pick up ranching. That's going to be my new thing. So there, there has to be some kind of barrier to entry. Like you mentioned, it's generational in your family. And I think that's a thing that a lot of ranching homes have. It's generational. Does the world need more ranchers or do you think you're good at the amount It just needs to be better done? Or do you think more people should be getting interested if they're passionate about it and in, in getting into ranching?
1: That's a great question. I think the world needs more thoughtful ranchers. I think the generational thing. There's way too much energy emphasized in the generational thing. I can't tell you how many places I've been, how many talks I've been to, where it's they start out with saying, "I'm a sixth generation Montana rancher," or "I'm a," and it's you know what? It's it's like okay, uh, this is my take. A feel is a feel. You feel a a, a spirit of a place, whether you are a multi generational rancher or you have just stepped foot on that place. You're either in touch with that feel or you're not. And I feel like we need to be supporting and empowering people who are open to that feel so that we can care again and so that we can be connected again. And there are some incredible grants and, and opportunities for new small scale ranches. That's what we need is more small scale farms and ranches so that we can start feeding our communities again that then in return feeds our nation, feeds our world. So absolutely go for it. Yeah, I'm all for it.
0: How much land do you need to be a rancher? Like how do you even how do you even get started? If someone's like listening, you know what? Yeah. Hey, I, <laughs> I want to be a rancher. What do you do?
1: Um Yeah, that's a great question. I would first start off with going to some really great holistic range management schools because we certainly don't need any more ranchers doing old ways of thinking and old school things and carrying on their the grandfather, great-grandfather's tradition of this is my land and this is what I want. So I definitely encourage people to go to school, to, to get educated in holistic range management, to understand the greater natural systems already at work in their communities and their landscapes. And then again, going into grants. so There's a lot of grants and I'd say that, yeah, you you do, it depends on what you want to raise. If you're looking for to to raise 500 head of cattle on a ranch, there's a lot of different ways to do it now. I shouldn't say a lot, but there's a variety of different ways to do that now. We don't own our own cattle anymore. We have So our family ranch is is, is into two different places, two sections. One of them is my uncle's place at the lower, what we call the lower ranch or the lower place, and we're at the upper place. And historically, we've raised cattle, cows and calves and sheep. Once the wolves are reintroduced to Yellowstone, we got rid of the sheep for obvious reasons. And thankfully, my family's always come from a fairly ecologically-minded ranching perspective. But what we do now is custom graze, and that's part of a larger system. So we graze our uncle's cattle as, as well, but then we custom graze, which means another rancher's cattle come onto our place to utilize our grass reserve. And if you really know what you're doing in the new regenerative model, you can utilize those cattle. It's winning twice over. You're getting paid for your grass by that producer to come in and graze his or her cattle. But then you're also utilizing those cattle as a tool to better your soil and to better your land, just as the bison that used to do thousands of years ago. And so again, another reason why to just get really educated in understanding soil health and grass and diversity and all those things. So I don't know if that answers your
0: question. Yeah, it does. It does. I think getting educated is step number one, right? Um, <laughs> which I've skipped that step numerous times and jumped into things. But <laughs> me too. You're not the not only about one. me. It, we talked about innovation and things like that. But really, we've been gifted by millions of years of this Earth or billions of years of this Earth existing. Like we have what we need to solve the problem. Dude. But how, how do we get there? How do we make this shift? And how God? How optimistic are you? This, I guess that's the that's a tough uh, yeah. question.
1: You know, it's funny. Five years, 10 years ago, I was not optimistic at all. And I'm extremely optimistic now. And I, I not only work in regen ag, but I also work regenerative agriculture, but I also work deeply in this whole predator, wildlife, livestock conflict situation. And so um, me and my sister in law started an, an association called the Tom Miner Basin Association. And it's really centered in community togetherness, community learning. Again, going back to that, like once we know better, we can do better. And here we are—we're ranching next to Yellowstone National Park in the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. We've been told that this ecosystem is the most biodiverse wildlife corridor, second to the Serengeti, on the globe, from from Gardner to Livingston, and we're right in smack in the middle of that. And so, as ranchers, we have a responsibility to figure out how to support the biodiversity that comes along with living here. And that biodiversity includes us and includes our cattle, but it also includes the wolves and the bears. And it's highly important to to figure out ways of doing that. And I think you're absolutely right. The the answer is not in new tech and innovation. The answer does not lie there, but the answer lies somewhere in between ancient human and indigenous wisdom and the use of new and emerging innovative, respectful innovation. And, and we have to find that balance. There's so much that ancient humans and indigenous cultures have done over the years that we have lost and or have not attained in our culture. And that was a huge mistake. Just coming with coexistence. There's so many things that we don't do in the coexistence world. We do all kinds of techniques and tools and practices that work, like the use of flaggery or the use of electric fences or different t- types of herding and all these things that we do through the association that help our ranching community and others. What about ceremony and ritual? What about ancient ceremony and ritual around sharing landscapes and just putting it, putting your energy out into a landscape of, I'm here, but I understand that you're here too. And I think we can make this work if we can just be open to that vulnerability and that honesty.
0: Wow. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that you're optimistic because you're in the thick of it. You're you're (laughs) doing the thing. I want to make sure that we, we touch on the Tom Miner Association, so give us some background on what that is as well.
1: Yeah, that's just a, a number of years ago. It's gosh, it's been a quite a number of years ago now. My sister in law Hillary and I just really saw a need to bring this ranching community together in more of a way of community learning, community building. What we used to say, you know, fostering, trusting, and and caring relationships amongst each other. It's very ranch like to be that sort of. You know, I've been saying more of Wendell Berry and what's his name? Gosh, Walt St- Walt Stegner oh God, they're just wonderful authors, uh, that rugged individualism that we can let go of. You know, that really what we need is cooperation and collectives working together for a greater good. And so we saw that need and we started the association. And originally it was just a place to hold funding for preventative measures in, the, in coexisting with wolves and bears. And it was like, hey, we've got this amount of money that we can give you to put this fence up to help your cattle in their calving grounds, not their cat. Your calves not killed, got get killed by wolves, and so that's how it started. And it be, it quickly became a much more dynamic, land based group of exploring all different tools and techniques of coexisting together. And again, Hillary says perfectly, we are raising prey next to Yellowstone Park. So if we're not. If we're not trying new things and experimenting with ways to coexist, we are not going to make it. That train is going to leave without us. And so I, I choose to jump on the train for sure.
0: So who who is Tom Miner? Who'd you name it after?
1: Tom Miner Basin. It's funny you ask that because now my family is so deeply, we're almost like so deeply connected that we're like hokey pokey. I'm proud of that, by the way. And we keep saying, why don't we find out what this place was called before Tom Miner? Because the Tom Miner Basin is a very magical place, and we have everything that Yellowstone Park has except for the tourists. But now we even have the tourists because they all come to see the bears in the evening. Tom Miner was a shady trapper individual who during the squatter years somehow made his way up here. And that's it. It's ridiculous. That's, this incredible place is named after someone like that. So I'd, I'd actually, we're still trying to figure this out, but I'd like to know what this place was called by the different groups that came through here, the Crow, the Shoshone, the Sheep Eater Indians, that I, I would really love to know what they called this place.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Malou, I, I want to respect your time. This has been, you are a, a wonderful spokesperson for this cause. And I would imagine, so you do, do you get out and you speak and you engage with people? What is your, if such a thing, what does a day-to-day look like for you?
1: Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of speaking, a lot of listening. I try to listen more than I speak, but yeah, I just, I'm a mother. I'm busy mothering and I feel the, the important need to, I've heard the to- the, the term of the, the best thing to be, or the mo- the most... Respectful thing to be is a place's person, and I love that. I love that, and I think that this place has a lot of those people, and I hope that I can be one of them. And yeah, I'm just I I try to be the voice of another type of rancher, and I try to by example show that we can, we it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to make mistakes, but most importantly, if we can just understand again, going back to that, I really deeply believe that we belong to each other, and. We got to do what we can there or else it's going to be too late to do a lot of things. So that's where I work from. But yeah, I'm a busy woman doing a lot of things that I don't get paid for. (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay because I feel like apparently I asked for this in some form or another. So
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's always nice to get paid. So if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, I'm motivated to do something for the the general population what's the tiniest first thing that we could do today to start helping with regenerative agriculture and just fixing our food supply
1: yeah, great question. Well, If you're just a lay person, or not just, if you are a lay person in your community, you know, I'd encourage you to just research your local me- meats, your local foods, and, and try as hard as you can to purchase locally and micro locally and just do some research. And I understand that prices are hard these days. But the good news is that's going to change. I really I'm optimistic about that. And then if you're someone who has a little bit more capability financially or investment wise, really, I encourage you to invest thoughtfully in things that are are really helping try to solve or better understand issues that people are facing in rural areas. If you're feeling pulled to rural areas and to agriculture, hey, check out take check out teal tags, check out other things, because people are there's a lot of people doing some incredible work and they need your support and, and we need your support. And, and then we can all have a feel, a feel-good buy-in in a larger concept that we can all really feel proud about.
0: Fixing and, and making better. Awesome, said So, where do people find you? Where, where do they go online? You can find me
1: at there's I have a website teal enterprises and I also am on Tom Miners basin association.org and you could Google me. Unfortunately, when I Googled myself the other day and I was completely disturbed at how much I found. I was oh like, yeah, oh don't God, do that. This is, no, this <laughs> it was frightening. It was so scary, but I'm fairly easy to find and I'm always happy to have conversations and um, just listen. I mean, I, I want to listen more. I, I love listening to people. So
0: awesome. And for people listening, if you don't look at the show notes. It's tealenterprises.org. And uh, this is uh, Malou Anderson Ramirez. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it, whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be. I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know, of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me, let me know what you're thinking, Uh, make an introduction, whatever may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast. And you can expect a lot more from us.